0: Like to begin today by thanking uh, Jamie and Robert last week for their lesson which was really is really going to tie in much to today's lesson and also to Rondell's thoughts a few minutes ago especially when he was talking about the gospel not being the ABCs but the the entirety the A to Z our whole life and so that's really what we're going to be looking at they just said what I'm gonna say in a different way. Uh, We're looking at Romans. We've been in Romans chapter six for a few weeks. And we're gonna look at Romans chapter six, verse 14. We've kind of stopped there for a couple of weeks because I want to explore this grace dimension that we've been talking about. It's a very simple verse. I think this verse really uh, is is a focal point, perhaps of the whole book of Romans and especially this chapter, verse 14 where it says, for sin shall, not, shall no longer be your master, for you are not under law, but under grace. And we're gonna concentrate on that little phrase, but under grace, what, what does that mean? We can read through that and, and just go on our merry way without really contemplating what does it mean to live under grace? And so that's why I want to explore what I'm calling the grace dimension. Many of you have been to the ocean and you stand on the warm sand and you can gaze out on the vast sea and you have a sense of this grandeur in front of you, this power of the water and yet you don't fully experience it. You haven't really quite experienced the ocean. You step into the water you can feel its coolness or the warmth of the water around you, the strength of the waves as, it, as, a, as each wave crashes into your legs, and you get a deeper sense of the, the power, the awesomeness of the ocean. And those who have a knowledge of and the courage to swim out into the ocean and get beyond the shallows and more into the depths, swim along the shore you can taste the saltiness of the water. You're being lifted by the swells instead of just the waves. You Perhaps you can body surf, feel the, the strength of those waves as you come in. It takes you to even another level of experience of the ocean, you, a deeper appreciation of what the water is about. Or even for a deeper experience, you can get into a boat and go beyond beyond shore where you can't even see the shore anymore. You're in the middle of of this vast body of water. Perhaps you'll get in rough water or or storm and can feel the power and the awesomeness of it or scuba dive and you go beneath uh, the surface and you see the wonders that are there. Uh, you, You experience a grandeur, a depth, an awesomeness that's difficult to describe Uh, from those to those who have never ventured from the shore. And grace is like that. Grace is, as Rondell was saying, you you get the ABCs. You can understand that part. And a simple acronym, as I have there on the screen, God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, that's a nice description of grace. Or something like grace is receiving something good that you don't deserve. And that's like standing on the shoreline and beginning to get a, an understanding of that of the ocean's majesty. But grace is far deeper than God's riches at Christ's expense or getting something good you don't deserve. And as we first walk in faith, we get that initial experience of grace, of salvation. It's simple. It's wonderful. Uh, you, you, get, uh, you, 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 you sit there in that grace and you understand there's something more than I'm understanding. You, you, you get that feeling of this is awesome, but I don't fully understand it. And so as Christians, as we grow in, in grace, as we grow in our faith, we have to go beyond that simple understanding of grace. We have to, our Christian walk challenges us to explore the greater depths, to make a more powerful application uh, to our lives of this wonder, wondrous, wonderful blessing of grace. And it's a, it's a dimension that's difficult to, to understand, but it's one that we should long to explore, that we should want to explore and so we're just going to touch on that a little today exploring this dimension of grace. So understanding this grace dimension. Last week I uh, two weeks ago last lesson I described this under grace as being in a new dimension. And it's called several things. It's called in as you read through the Bible this grace dimension is called in Christ. It's called uh, united with Christ, uh, in his death, in the heavenly realms, alive to God, a new life, born anew, slaves of righteousness, freed from sin. All these, and there's many more, descriptions of this dimension that we have a difficult time understanding. And I, I gave you the illustration of, of the book uh, by Edwin Abbott, he wrote this in the late 1800s um, of Flatland, of two-dimensional creatures who were introduced to a third dimension, and they had a difficult time understanding what this third dimension is. And that's how we are. We're leaving under law. We're leaving in sin, and we're entering into a new dimension, a new, um, a, a, a new sphere and we're, we have, I think, a difficult time understanding what it is. You know, physically, I can understand one dimension, a point. I understand two dimensions, like a, a painting, you know, a, some, a, a photograph that's a two-dimensional object. And of course, I understand three dimensions. It's all around me. But I got on YouTube and I tried to understand the fourth dimension. And that's when it started losing me. And I saw uh, something that talked about the 11th dimension, and I didn't even click on that. If I can't understand the fourth dimension, I can't understand the 11th dimension. And so in the same way, we're used to being under law. We're used to being in sin. We're We're not used to being under grace. We don't understand fully what freed from sin is and under grace is. And so we need to move into a greater understanding that's very difficult to understand. I believe that live, learning to live in grace or under grace will take a lifetime of walking with our savior and learning from him. So let's let's back up a, a second to this power of law and sin. He says you are not under law and we're going to we're not going to explore that in depth today because Paul's going to deal with that in the, in the next verses, and we'll look at that then. But there's this power of law and sin. And as I explained in the past, the, Paul uses the words all through Romans here, the law, he puts the article, the, in front of, of the word, the grace, the sin, all throughout the book of Romans. And the concept as you come to those is not individual sins or Certain laws are a certain act of grace, but you have to think of it when he uses the law, the sin, the grace as a power, uh, a, a sphere. This is hard to explain. A kingdom would be another way of saying, or as I've de- described it, a dimension. We're moving into from a dimension of the power, the dominion of law, into a dimension of of, of grace, uh, in the first lesson, I believe I, I explained that he says you are not uh, you're not under the roof, you're not in the house of sin anymore, but you're in the house of, of freed from sin of grace, and so you've moved from one abode to another. It's the word in, in Greek that means abide, abode, the place that you live, and so we've moved from one house to another house. And someone will say, well, why is that so important? Why is it important that you make that distinction? Well, the simple answer to that is this. God makes the distinction. God makes the distinction in his word, and so it should become important to us. We we should want to know if God is making a distinction here in 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 his written word. We should want to try to understand that. But besides that, it defines where you live. It defines where you are. It defines your dimension. It defines your sphere. It defines what power that you're under. And then it teaches you how to live in that place. And so that's why it's important because it's going to affect how we live our lives. When you lived under law, you had this burden of list to keep. Things to do, things not to do. And Paul will explain this later. With that comes judgment because we all break the law. We all have broken God's law. We live under condemnation, and that's what it means to be under law. If you're under law, then you're under its condemnation because you can't keep law. We know this from from, uh, uh, New Year's resolutions. I don't know of anyone who has made a list of New Year's resolutions that that kept all of them. You know, we can have, maybe the only New Year's resolution you can keep is I'm not gonna make any, and that'd be the only uh, one that you could keep, but if you make a list of I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, the chances of you keeping that are really small, especially if your list grows more than three. You end up breaking those things. And that's just the nature of our human weakness. We break law. It's, it's a hopeless situation. We live in a hopeless situation. So under law and under sin means I'm striving for something that I cannot achieve. Worthiness. People want to be worthy. And, 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 and so you have a goal and you don't, it, you don't meet that goal. And you're unworthy. You haven't measured up. Value. Uh, you know, what, what's the value of, of my life and, and where I'm trying to live up to a greater value and I can't, righteousness, holiness. And so as I try to live under this power of law and sin, I'm unworthy, I, I feel valueless, I'm unrighteous, I'm unholy. And so any of these measurements that we have to, that law requires us to, to keep, we see how how uh, far we, f- we fell. Now when that happens, we're going to do one of two, two things. We'll either fall into spiritual despair. Well, one of three things. We'll either fall into spiritual despair and just say, well, what's the use? I can't keep the law. Or some might try to lower the bar and say, well, what God means is this, and just makes a little bit, tries to make it less than what God's standard is. And, and even then you can't keep it, or they will fall into self-deceit, believing that they are keeping the law. I am doing everything right, I am a righteous person. And we'll, we call that being pharisaical. And so you're either gonna be in despair, or you're gonna try and lower the standards so you can, so you can live up to whatever measurements that you're trying to, or you're just gonna live in self-deceit. So we're going to look at this power of grace. What does it mean to be under the power or in the dimen- this dimension of grace? We're in a different kingdom, as I said. We have been given new life, as Paul has described. We have a new heart. We've been born anew. We've been transferred into this new house. And what I've tried to emphasize, and maybe I've failed in this, but I want to make this clear. None of this is by our own power, our own goodness, our own efforts that we've done this. God, He makes clear, has done this to us and for us. We didn't travel from one home to the other home. God took us from that home of sin and placed us into His home of grace. He's the one that transferred us uh, from, one, from one dimension to the, to the other. And the first four verses is very clear. This happened in baptism as we were immersed, he says, into Christ. We were immersed into his grace at that time. And so we find ourselves now in a new sphere. We find ourselves in a new dimension. We find ourselves under a new roof. And here's what we have to do. Now that we're here, we have to learn how to live that way. What does our new home look like? What does our new dimension call us to do and calls us how to live our lives in this new dimension? dimension uh, grace means simply we have been pardoned. Our sins have been pardoned. We're all guilty of sin. We're worthy of living separated from God. We all walked away from God in our sins, and our problem is we can't find our way back. And that's why the Bible calls this condition lost. R- Rondell referred to the, the, these people who are writing. These are lost people. They're trying to find meaning in their life. Some are showing up from out of town, I understand, and participating in looting and writing. Why are they doing that? They're trying to find their own meaning in life. They're trying to find something that they're missing, and they, they, they'll never find it without God. They're lost people. And so living under grace means that we live under this decree of pardoned. We did not pardon ourselves. Our works did not pardon ourselves. And so we are pardoned. The Bible used the word we are ransomed. Uh, It uses the word we're saved. We're righteous. We're holy. And we're loved. And these things the Bible continually describes this is our current state. It's not something we are earning our pardon. No, we have been pardoned without our own power. We did not pay our own price for to be ransomed. Christ paid it for us. We are saved. Not we're trying to be saved. We're trying hard to say saved. We're living in a saved state. We're righteous by the, he, he describes us in Romans, Romans, in that it's been credited accredited to us, or it's been imputed to us, it's been given to us. So we are righteous, but not through our own righteousness, but through the righteousness of Christ. We are holy people. Not that we're trying to be holy and work at being holy, but God has granted that to you. You are holy. And you're not working for God's love. You have have God's love. God loves you. And so it's like a prisoner walking away from jail, He's been pardoned. He's free. He breathes deeply with gratitude to the one who has pardoned you. And so we're on this, this journey, this journey to the dimension of grace, in the dimension of grace would be better. Let's, let's look how, how that happened, how we, how we got to that point. And this is going to be like a quick re- review of all the verses ahead of us. And I'm going to tie in my paraphrase to put it in my own words to help us understand that. But we we began this journey to this dimension of grace that we've entered when we made a life-changing decision. We had a crossroads in our lives. We see that in verses one through four, that we came to a spiritual crossroads. And at baptism, we took this new road, a new path. We entered into a new life. And so he says there, what shall I say to this? And this is my own paraphrase in the first person that I've encouraged you to do also. If you'll Take chapter 6 of Romans and, and put it in your own words or just change the we's to I and make it personal. I think that would be a great value to, the, to you. But what shall I say to this? Should I live under the same roof of, as sin just so that there will be a superabundance of grace? Ridiculous. I have forever left the dominion of sin. How can I say it's still my home? It is quite clear that when I was immersed into Christ Jesus... I was plunged into his death and bonded to every benefit of his death. Let me connect the dots for you. Through a dipping underwater, I was buried with him into death. This began a total separation from my old life. Christ was raised out from the dead by the magnificent majesty of the Father. In exactly the same way, I am also raised up like him so that I might live my new life in a uniquely new way. So we came to that life-changing decision, and that brought us into a new life of purposeful living in verses 5 through 11. The goal of this new life that we have been given isn't to survive. God hasn't given this just to survive and make it through this life so we can get to heaven, but it's to learn to live as God intends. We have a quest here. We have a journey here that we're learning how to live as God wants us to live. We live with purpose. We live with direction. We, we don't have a valueless life. We have a, va- a life full of meaning. And so we have, here in Romans, he says, now to, to live in this purposeful way, we need to recognize two truths. And that first one is that we're united with Christ in this death. And this will help us live a, a life with purpose. And so in verse 5 through 7, I, I say, in view of the fact that my baptism intertwined me with him into a mirror image of his death, I will certainly experience a similar likeness of his resurrection, thus experiencing this. The old me was crucified with him. The express purpose of that crucifixion was so that the life of selfish me might be completely, be, might be completely defective. Thus, I am no longer slavishly devoted to sinful me. For having experienced this death, God's judgment pronounced me just as if I never sinned. You know, when I live, I can live with purpose now because I am united with him in his death. God has declared me just as if I've never sinned. If I can walk through life really believing that God looks at me as if I've never sinned, as his perfect child, that gives me purpose and direction in life. And then the second part of, of learning to live a, a, a life with purpose is that we view our life in, in, in view of a future resurrection. There's something more than what's going on right here in this, this earth. Oh, there's terrible things that are happening. And next year, next week, it's going to be something else. And next month, it's going to be something else. It's the the li- world is never going to be a utopia. And so we have to view our lives that there's something greater that God has promised us, and that's our future resurrection. This keeps my eyes in the correct direction. This keeps my eyes focused on Christ and, and not the world, the things that are happening around me. I'm not brought into despair because of the, the situations in my personal life, the situations in the, the community and the world at large wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all the bad things that are going on. I have more to look forward to. And so I I say it this way, on top of all this, if I in fact died with Christ, I am firmly persuaded and am confident that I will also live with Him. For I have come to grasp that Christ, having been raised up from the dead, will never face death again. He is outside of death's jurisdiction and is no longer under its rule. The death Christ died was a one-time death, but now the life he currently lives, he lives oriented to God. So in the same way, I consider it ever a settled fact that selfish me is truly a lifeless corpse in regard to sinful me. But indeed, now I live oriented with eyes toward God while implanted in Christ Jesus. So this brings me into more purposeful living, but then we get into practical grace in the next two verses, verses 12 and 13. We have to change the way we think about sin, of sin being this power behind all the sins we commit. There's a power behind all the sins we commit. Uh, the sin that, of believing that we can be like God. The, the sin is the sin of believing I can be like God. I can direct my own life. I, I can do, I can live as I wish. And many people have lived that. We've all lived that life to a certain degrees. And we find the, the, uh, the, the end of that road often is misery. We don't listen to the call of the sin anymore. We don't offer our personality up to sin's ways. But rather we offer ourselves, our personalities, our character to God. Verses 12 and 13, this is how it all comes together. I must not allow for any possibility for sinful me to be king and pay attention and comply to the urges and feelings and passionate longings of my physical body. Neither will I keep on pampering any part of my personality, using it as a weapon or excuse toward hurtful living centered in sinful me. Rather, I will yield myself to God just as if, I was snatched out of death to living, my whole personality as a tool of right conduct oriented toward God. And so we have this, now we see we have this change, this change of masters. And we see this in this last verse that we're looking at. Sin's no longer our master. That word master there, uh, or rule in some translations, uh, is the word Lord. Sin is no longer our Lord. Why is he no longer our Lord? Well, simply because we, as Christians, we will say Christ is our Lord. Jesus is our Lord, of course. So sin is no longer our Lord. We're free from sin. We're no longer chained to his power, uh, the power of sin. We're no longer changed, as he says, to rule keeping and law keeping, because he he puts these. You're no longer under law, because sin's not your master anymore. Christ is our master, and We are chained to grace. We're still in chains. Later on, he's going to still say we're we're slaves. But our chains are are no longer the law. Our change, 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 not change, chains is grace. Um, This is the new dimension we're in. This is the grace dimension. And so he says, so we say, because of this, It rules out as a fact that no sin of any sort will ever dominate me. For I am in no way under the rule of any kind of law. I am subject to the power of God's kindness, love, and blessing. It's a hard word to translate, grace. So I translate it, kindness, yes, it's part of that. It's love, it's blessing, It's, it's far more than that. So you're sitting there and say, okay, we'll get to the practical part. What does grace living look like in a practical way? You know, just, just l- make the list for me. Just give me the list of how to live in grace, the, what grace dimensions looks like. And here's the thing. I can't do that. If I gave you a list of how to live in grace, I would be giving you a law. But that's how we think. We want the list. We want the five things to do to live in grace. We want the 10 things to do to live in grace, but that's the opposite of grace when you live according to this list. Over in Second Peter chapter three verse one, he's uh, three verse 18. It's the last verse of that letter. And he ends it this way. He says, "Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior." We need to grow in this grace. It's something that you can't, you can't make a list of it. It's it's a growth process. It's you you see where it goes. I have a little garden, and, and it's flourishing right now. I, I I love just to go out there and look at. It. I have some lettuce and I have some kale and I, I have some collards and some tomatoes and some herbs there, and I'm watching these plants change and I can't predict which way they're going to go and which, how the limbs are going to grow out, the, how the vines are going to grow from the tomatoes. It's a growth process, and everything looks different. Every, he, every head of lettuce is different from the other. Oh, they have some similarities, but they're different. And that's what grace is like. This is, this is why it's difficult to describe. It's difficult to learn uh, what grace means. So it's something we grow in. But it begins by we need... Grace means that we're, we learn how to think. If you've been a part of the central family for the last 14 and almost a half years, I've said this over and over. Christians learn how to think. That's part of our calling. We don't just go with the flow of, of the world. We don't go with the flow of whatever is the fad of the day. We have to learn how to think, how to use our minds. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, uh, for instance, there he says, we have the mind of, of Christ. Paul is saying we're, we're, we have learned to, or we are learning or have learned to think like Christ. Or he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 5, he says, um, uh, have this mind in you that is the same as in Christ Jesus. And then he describes this mindset of Jesus. And he says, I want you to have that kind of mind. I want you to learn to, to think in, the, in this way. So we have to learn to begin uh, this grace walk as learning to think on our own. Don't just listen to what the preacher says. Don't listen to just what the elders say. Don't listen to what a teacher says or whoever. Listen. But then discern what they're saying through the scriptures. Just as I'm speaking to you, you need to be looking at the scriptures and discerning and, and thinking it through for yourself and applying it to your, to your own life, learning how to think. And then part of this grace dimension, and another practical thing, is you have to understand, again, that you're under a power. You're under a power, and you have to learn to live that way. Listen carefully. Grace does not mean I'm free to think as I wish and do as I wish. That's a misunderstanding of grace. A lot of people say, well, if you don't have the law and you just give people grace, they'll do whatever they want. They'll fall back into sin. But grace does not mean I'm free to think the way I want to think. It does not mean I'm free to do as I wish to do, that God's going to save me because I can, no matter what I do. That's not grace under grace. I'm under this power. I'm in this dimension. And it means that I am subject. I am in a slavery to think as Christ thinks, to do as Christ would have me do. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, find out what pleases the Lord. And that find out doesn't mean just reading it in the Bible. Of course, it begins here. But it means Put it, to the pra- put it to practice and put it to the test. When the Bible tells us to do something, test it, try it, and you'll find out that this is what pleases the Lord. And it's interesting in that verse, and we don't have time to, to look at that whole section, but in chapter 5, verse 17, and chapter 4, verse 17, and that whole section there, he, he's saying there, you're learning to change the attitude of your mind. You're learning to apply... God's goodness and his righteousness and his holiness in your life. And he doesn't say by doing these things. He says, you find out what that means. You find out how that works. And the next way we do this is is we live a continued transform, uh, uh, in a a continual transforming of our lives, a transformation of our lives. This is another practical way of how we put grace into action, how we live in this grace dimension. Chapter 12 of Romans, verse 2, says renew your mind. You, you, you renew your mind, you're studying God's word, you're looking at God's word, you're renewing the way you think, you're, you continually do this, it's not just one time, but it's a continual thing that you do every day of your lives. And then he says, then you'll find out what is good and pleasing and acceptable to God. And so we continue, continually do this. And the only way I know to do that is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, you know, continue to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and, and, and perfecter of our faith. The character of Jesus is expressed in compassion. We look at Jesus' compassion and we think about that and we apply that to our lives. His patience, but also his correction. Jesus corrected people. Jesus rebuked people. Jesus forgave. Jesus taught, he spoke the truth, he spoke it in love. How do I apply, how do I do all that? How do I learn to imitate God as he says in uh, Ephesians chapter five verse two? Well, it only comes through a close walk with him through prayer, through a study of God's word and then taking these things that we're learning in our lives and putting it into practice in my home, with my family, with my people I work with, with the community at large. Next, build habits based in relationship. You know, when you think of things like I should do that, I ought to be doing that, I must do that, you're thinking in terms of law. I ought to go to church, I should go to church, I must go to church. Well, that's that. you've made yourself a law there. When you're trying to discover, and this is what Jamie and Robert talked about last week, I'm trying to discover what it means to love and apply that love in this, this relationship, this circumstance, this situation that I'm finding myself in. And every day it's a different situation, a different circumstance, a different conversation that's going on. How do I learn to love in this, in this situation? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And I look at that and say, how can I do that with all my heart, all my soul? All, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I can do that completely. And I can't. I can only do that in this grace dimension with God giving me the grace to, to learn how to love. And love doesn't always feel good. It's not always a nice thing. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's a difficult thing very difficult thing to do. And so we have to learn how to build habits in love instead of following a, 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 some, a list of things to do. That's how we want all our relationships. That's how we a, a husband and a wife wants relationships with their spouse. They want habits of love, not lists to follow. And so if I'm just going a, down a list of these are the things that show love, I'll wash the dishes each day, I'll, I'll uh, make up the bed, I'll, I'll say I love you, I'll you know, give you a kiss once a day, you know. There's no love there, it's following a list. And we all understand that. But if these things come naturally because we love one another, we build these good habits that the Bible tells us to do, that, 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 that uh, are, are based in love and not lists. And last, learn to give what you've been given. Learn to give what you've been given. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus sends out the 70, and he says, you know, you've, you've been given freely, so you give freely. And that's a great attitude to have. What have we been given? We've been given so much, and we could spend a long, long time just looking at the things we've been given. So give that back. Uh, over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You've been forgiven, so learn to forgive others. You've been treated with grace, so learn how to treat others with grace. You know, I suspect that some are uncomfortable at this practical list. It's not a list of practical things to do. And it's not. Because grace is not a list. It's a way of life. It's transforming. It takes thought, it takes work, it takes courage, it takes strength, it takes power, that is not yours, that is God's. And that's why the Bible often calls it a walk. Even here in Romans chapter 10, he he talks about live, uh, the word uh, live a new life, is walk in a new life. And walking is what, exploring, learning, being amazed at the things around you. And that's what grace is. We're walking through life. We're walking in God's grace. We're learning what this means. You have to rely on God's grace in order to live in God's grace. It's not what you do. It's who you lean on, who you rely on. And you find that as you study God's word. It's more than being a nice person. It encompasses a tough but gentle love. A strength that will require you to lean heavily on your Lord. A growing knowledge of who God is and who you are in Christ and applying that to every person that you come in contact with. How can a two-dimensional church become a three-dimensional church? What does that look like in the body, in the church? Are we... As a body here at Central, I know we're not meeting together, but we will soon. Are we relating to one another in a two-dimensional way or a three-dimensional way? And the answer is yes, both. We do both. But the only way that we can become a three-dimensional church, a grace-dimensional church, is for each person, each Christian, to learn what it means to live in and grow in, in the grace of God, and especially those of us who teach and lead. Uh, if we become the grace-oriented people that we need to be, if we're so immersed in our relationship with God that it becomes it becomes the norm, the habit to think grace instead of law, then we'll have the power to live in the grace of God. God bless us all as we attempt to, not as we attempt, as we lean on the Lord. And let him guide us through this dimension of grace.